Deuteronomy 5, 1 through 22, and 28 through 29. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Gracious God, you are the giver of every good gift, and you have gifted us with your words this morning. Indeed, you have gifted us with your very commands. And we pray that you would give us grateful hearts. We pray that in your words, we would experience you. We would experience your love, 
we would experience your truth, we would experience your grace, and we would hear your calling. Father, do it for your glory. Be with us for our good and through us for the good of our neighbors. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. How are you feeling about the Ten Commandments this morning? I'll be honest, as I sat down to begin to prepare this sermon, uh, I thought about how I was feeling, and different emotions came to my mind. Uh, Perhaps a bit of consternation as to how to preach a 10-point sermon, a little bit of a challenge. We'd love to hear your advice on that one. Uh, Maybe a little bit of anxiety. Will I be able to do justice to uh, this pinnacle of God's revealed moral will for His people? Maybe even some low-grade guilt, wondering how well have I kept the Ten Commandments this week as I'm preparing to talk about them. What didn't come to mind was a feeling of joy or love. I'm just going to be honest. That wasn't my overriding emotion as I sat down to prepare. And yet, and yet, I use the Book of Common Prayer to guide my morning and evening devotions primarily. And they have a reading plan that will take you through the Bible in two years. And you'll read the Psalms over and over and over again throughout the year. And almost every Wednesday, it takes you to Psalm 119. And some of you know Psalm 119. It's the longest book in the Bible. You know it as that, 176 verses. But it's also a love poem of sorts to God and to His commands. The psalmist says over and over and over in every 176 of these verses that talks about God's law and His precepts and His commands, and His word, and His way, the psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. How sweet your law is to me. And I asked, what would it take for me to love not just God's commands, but the God behind the commands and the way that the psalmist encourages us to do? What would it take for you, friend, this morning, to love God's command, to love the Ten Commandments, to receive them with joy, to be silly giddy at the prospect of another's day keeping them, to find them beautiful and delightful. What would it take for us? How might we get there? Do you love God's commands? Do you love the Ten Commandments or do you find yourself having a bit of an allergic reaction to them? Maybe in the same way that I did as I sat down. Uh, Christopher Hitchens of The New Atheist quipped, it's better not to swallow your moral code in tablet form. Right? Christopher Hitchens doesn't believe in the God of Scripture, so that's an understandable stance for him to take toward the Ten Commandments. But what about you? What about me? Do you come to the commandments with a little bit of an allergic reaction? It's easy to target somebody like Christopher Hitchens, but what about us? On the one hand, uh, think of uh, an experiment with me. If you were walking in this morning into Lamar Middle School, and out front there was a huge sign around the doorway that said, wet paint, do not touch, how would you respond to that internally? 
you probably wouldn't shove your hand up into the paint. Maybe you would. But would there be a little part of you that would want to? That would want to test out that commandment? Would there be a little part of you that would want to challenge it? Right? On the one hand, we find at times that laws, indeed even God's law, which is meant to be for our good, we find to be restrictive for us, keeping us from the freedom that we ought to be able to have. If I want to touch that, I'm going to touch it. At the same time, on the other hand, we come to God's commands and His precepts, and we feel like we need to make excuses for the ways that we've been unable to keep them. Do you ever find yourself doing this? It's not that I love money more than I love God at all. It's not, it's not that, but our household just needs a little bit of cushion, right? Well, I'm batting 7 out of 10. That's, that's not bad, right, God? 7 out of 10? You'll take that, won't you? Well, in a perfect world, yes, I would honor my parents, obviously. But it's not a perfect world. In fact, have you seen the way that my parents have been acting? Very far from a perfect world. You understand, don't you, God? We come to God's laws on the one hand, there's part of us that wants to break them. On the other hand, there's part of us that wants to be able to say, I'm keeping them. We have a bit of an allergic reaction to them at times. What if the Ten Commandments, what if God's revealed law isn't a moral straitjacket limiting our freedom? What if it is not meant to be a shame and guilt-inducing mechanism of a capriciously angry God, what if God's law is meant to lead us into a life of flourishing in a way that honors the beauty of who God is and honors the beauty of a world that He has designed to work, honors our very selves as His image bearers? What if the Ten Commandments give us a portrait of the gloriously transcendent and faithful God on the one hand and a gloriously flourishing and loving human society on the other? And what if in living for God's honor and the well-being of others, you get to be your truest and most beautiful self? Might that not lead to joy? Might that be the kind of commandment that we find here in Deuteronomy chapter 5? What would it take for you to love God's commands? That's the question that we want to ask and seek God's answer to through the help of His Spirit and in the person of Jesus this morning. Maybe we can get at it in this way, first by seeing the context of the commandments. God's purpose for His commandment is for your flourishing. Second, we can see the content of the commandments, revealing a beautiful God and a beautiful community. Third, we would see the keeper of the commandments, Jesus himself. And then fourth, we might actually experience the beauty of keeping the commandments. The context, the content, the keeper, and the keeping, if you like to keep notes. Friends, the context of the Ten Commandments is right here for us in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And I think the key seven words of this passage are these, that it may go well with you. Verse 16, God has given us His commands that it may go well with you. The Ten Commandments begin 
We see in verse 6 with God saying to Moses, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And it's this transcendent, all-powerful God who has revealed himself to his people to be their merciful deliverer. The context of the Ten Commandments is freedom from enslavement. He's given them his covenant. He's bound himself to them with unbreakable promises. He's given them the land, a land in which they can come and flourish. And now he's given them this great gift of his blueprint for living freedom well. The Ten Commandments are God's blueprint to his people for living freely well. Remember, who Israel is at this point in their story. They're three months out of brutalizing enslavement at the hands of Pharaoh and his ilk in Egypt. Right? They had been experiencing a kind of crushing economic and social and indeed religious slavery, and now they're free. But what are they to do with this freedom? How do they know how to live freely, well. You see, God's commandments are his good guidance for how to live with the freedom that he has blessed his people with. And this, I don't know about you, but for me, sounds like an incredibly attractive gift because don't we have so much freedom in our lives, in our culture, particularly in our community here as followers of Jesus. Jesus has freed us from the enslavement of sin and death and hell itself. And yet, in the Bible, freedom is always not just freedom from the land of Egypt, the powers of our enslavement to sin, but it's always freedom for. Freedom for living a good and flourishing life that would bring glory to the good God and participate in the glories of a good community. And we need that guidance, don't we? How do we do with the freedom that we've been given? Most of you know that my family and me are new to grace and peace. We're new to Austin. We've been spending, we had spent the last eight years of our lives in California, in Marin County. Marin County is just north of San Francisco across the bridge. I promise, I'll get more and more Austin illustrations as we settle into Austin. But for now, you're going to hear some about California. Um, one of the tragedies of Marin County is that it has the highest rate of binge drinking amongst high schoolers in California. Almost the highest rate in the entire country. Marin County's teens have all the freedoms that one could possibly want. And they live in a culture in which they're encouraged to express themselves as freedom from any restraint. Go and be who you are. And be who you are to the fullest. And what they're asking is, somebody show me who I am and how to be. And the anxieties that come along with not having the guidebook are crushing them. There's more to it than that, but it's not less than this dynamic. And so they self-medicate. And teens in Marin County are at incredibly high rates 
for depression and anxiety and even suicide. Why? Because they've been set free, but they need somebody to show them how to live freely. They want the guidebook. And so as we come to God's commandments, one question that we can ask ourselves is, apart from His guidance, without the rule book, on our own strength, on our own dime, how is our freedom project going? How are we doing? How are you doing? Right? If you're here and you're not a Christian and you're exploring and maybe you're even a little bit skeptical about God's goodness and how a moral code from centuries ago can have relevance to your life today, I would invite you to ask this question. How are you doing apart from it? And what is the fruit that's being born in your life and through your life? Does justice reign? Are relationships stable and fulfilling and reciprocal? Is your work life additive, giving, and impactful? Are you anxiety-free, clear-eyed, clear-hearted? Are you actually free or are you merely enslaved to other ultimates that are promising significance and perhaps failing to deliver. G.K. Chesterton, a hundred years ago or so, put it this way, if humanity doesn't keep the Ten Commandments, we'll be forced to keep the 10,000. It's the wild, wild west, and how is it going for us? If you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, let me ask you this as we prepare to look at the content of the Ten Commandments do you trust the giver of the commandments? Do you trust him? God has given his commandments so that you would learn how to live well freely, so that it may be well with you. That is his heart. It bears repeating, so that it may be well with you. That is his heart. Do you trust him? Do you trust him to give yourself in love to his guidance? Indeed, to give yourself in love to Him. Friends, the context of the Ten Commandments is that they come out of a heart of God that is filled with good purpose for you. And the content of the commands is a blueprint of living toward a beautiful God and living into beautiful community. Living toward a beautiful God and living into beautiful community. Now, I wrestled with how to handle the Ten Commandments, and I just want to hit briefly on each one. No other God before me. Commandment one, why start here? Have no other God before me. Because, first of all, God deserves pride of place in our lives. He is the being that exists with pride of place in the cosmos. He deserves pride of place in our lives. Why start here? Because this is the commandment most foolishly broken. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Do you know the famous St. Augustine quote? Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. The story of the Bible is that we're made first and foremost to exist in relationship with this covenant God who has offered himself to us. And when we break this commandment to put that relationship first 
and central in our lives, everything else falls apart from there because everything is wired and designed to work within the beauty of that relationship with our Creator. Verse 10 reminds us that when we break that commandment and move away from Him, it goes badly. Our actions have consequences, but God's character is such that He limits those consequences. His character is such that when we give ourselves to Him and respond to His grace and faith, He's committed to the thousandth generation, which is a Hebrew way of saying forever. It's who He is. Why start here? Because this commandment is also the most likely to be broken. It's where we start with our sin, friends. This is the story that we find in the Bible with our first parents in the garden. It's the story that Israel enacted right here. Moses is recounting to this generation the story of their parents. Do you remember your parents, guys, ladies? God took us to Mount Sinai, and there he was in the smoke and the fire. And I went up, and I received the commandments. And while I did that, what did you do? You created an idol, and you worshipped it. You hedged your bets. You found another God to put in front of God. It's the command that we break most easily, and so it's the command that we begin with. No other gods before me. Commandment two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image bowing down to them in worship. This is a reminder, friends, that we are worshiping creatures. And if we stop worshiping God, we will worship something else. And remember a few weeks ago, we talked about what idols are. Idols are empty. Idols are powerless. Why would you worship a created thing when you can worship the creator? Why would you worship an image of a created thing when you can worship the creator? That it may go well with you. God gives his commands because he loves us. If we're not worshiping him, we'll worship something else and it will not deliver and it will eventually crush us. Making more and more demands, delivering less and less of the freedom and the life that we desire. Commandment three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Yes, this means do not cuss and do not curse, but it means so much more than that. It means taking God's good name and emptying it of its true content and then filling it with whatever we want to fill it. It means acting in God's name, but acting not in a way that God would approve of living his name out vainly. It means creating an idol out of God himself, making him into whomever we want him to be, and then living that out into the world. And what happens when we do such a thing? Well, when we take God's name lightly, we communicate that he is a God to be taken lightly, rather than the weightiest being in the universe who delights in us and wants us to live for him and the good of others. Friends, these first commandments drive us back into the embrace of our covenant God from whom and through him and to him are all things. Commandment four, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This is the hinge commandment. It moves us from love of God toward love of our neighbor. 
Because keeping Sabbath is one of the most pleasurable and enjoyable ways that we can honor God. Six days work and contribute, but on the seventh day, relax and enjoy the goodness of God's very presence and all that He has gifted to us. And I'm going to hold you to that for your own good, God says. Don't make an idol out of your work, out of what you can accomplish, out of what wealth can come from that, or significance, or whatever it might be. Take a break. Enjoy me. And at the same time, move toward others in your life who may not have the luxury of the time to rest and enjoy me. This is a wildly egalitarian commandment. Rest is not just for the privileged or the wealthy. Rest is for everybody who's created in God's image. And so if you have somebody working for you, let them rest. Affirm the dignity of their personhood. Give them the opportunity to enjoy the God who created them as well. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. We're just going to fly through these. Friends, when you hear this commandment, think not just mom and dad, but think of a culture that lives with an extended family, right? And those who are in authority in this kind of family would have been in not just familial authority, but social and judicial and economic and spiritual. And so what would it look like for us to honor the good and the true and the beautiful relationships of those who are in authority over us, whether it's a teacher or a boss or a parent or anybody else. Commandment six, you shall not murder. Human rights and social justice, friends, are grounded in theology and our image-bearingness as those made to reflect the glories of this good God. And so from the beginning of life in the womb to its waning and old age or illness, human life is sanctified. Human life is valued. And so this commandment, this ancient commandment bears current weight in how we think and pray and act regarding abortion and euthanasia and cultural values toward our elderly, structural inequalities and beyond. What would change if we valued human life as highly as does God, who not only created that life, but has given his own to ransom ours? Commandment seven, you shall not commit adultery. This commandment is concerned with protecting the sexual integrity of the marriage bond. And so, imagine with me again, what would it look like if sexual integrity and intimacy and commitment was of one piece with relational and spiritual integrity within a marriage? And what would it look like if integrity and commitment in a marriage contributed to the communal integrity and intimacy and commitment of, say, a church community? And what would it look like, friends, if a church community's integrity and intimacy and commitment was born out in the life of a neighborhood or a city? Can you begin to see that God's commands are given so that it may be well with you and not just with you, but through you for an entire society? Commandment 8, you shall not steal, not just a car or cheat on your taxes. 
but not have any unjust gain at the expense of another. What if our lives here as grace and peace together were characterized not by taking from others, but by generously giving to others at our own expense? What would change? How would our city be different? Commandment nine, you shall not give false testimony against a neighbor. In our current political climate, what would it be like if we only assumed and spoke the best of our opponent in political discourse? In your personal life, what would it be like if you assumed the best and spoke the best of the person that you're seeking reconciliation with? A beautiful community indeed. Commandment 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or house, or field, or worker, or ox, or donkey, or anything else. One more, what if? What if we were so content with God and the life that He has gifted us that we had nothing left to desire, nothing left to covet? And what if that led to lives that rather than looking for things to have and to pull toward me, we looked for ways to distribute everything that we have outward toward others for their good? A beautiful community. Friends, might that not be the kind of blueprint for living that you could fall in love with? The context and the content, but most importantly, To love God's law, we must love God's law keeper. I mentioned earlier at our confession of sin that God's commandments break us before they remake us or provide the path toward being remade by God's spirit. They break us because we can't keep them. If you know your Old Testament even a little bit, you know that God gave his people all his grace, his relationship, his presence, his guidebook, And what did they do? Over and over and over and over and over again, they broke his commandments. Indeed, they broke his heart. And we are no different. If we come to God's commandments with the understanding that we must keep them to be right with God, they will crush us. And there will be no joy there. So to love God's commands, we must love his command keeper. Jesus himself. Friends, Jesus is all over the New Testament. He's all over the Ten Commandments, not just because he says that I have come to fulfill the commandments, that is true, but because he did indeed fulfill the commandments in his life. And then he gave his life as a ransom, buying us back for God, those of us who have failed over and over and over again to be law keepers. God says to his people in chapter 29, oh, that they would fear me and keep my commandments. Part of what it means to fear God is to honor him as the lawgiver, but part of what it means to fear God is to delight in him who is the one who kept the law for us as well to fear God, to respect who he is and to respect what he's given us and respect the fact that we can't keep it by turning to the law keeper Jesus himself in loyalty and in love 
and in gratitude. You might come to the commandments and say, God, I'm at about a 78%. Is that good enough? God doesn't grade on a curve. He graded on the cross. And Jesus kept the commandments. And the weight is gone. We don't keep them because we have to. We keep them because we get to. And therein lies all the difference if you would be a person who loves God's law. And finally, be a law keeper and see if you don't fall in love with who you are and the community that you are a part of. Right? Some of you have built a house recently, had a house built. And the blueprint is pretty exciting, isn't it? You're on the front end, there's no structure yet, but you have this plan. And you can look and you can point and say, look, right there, that little diagram, that's my kitchen. Isn't it pretty? Look at the L shape. And then it opens up. Isn't that awesome? And you have a little bit of love for that blueprint, but you have a lot more love for that kitchen when you're in it. And you're cooking for your friends and your family. And it's a completely different experience. It's one thing to love God's law on paper. It's another thing to love God's law as it's expressed together in community. And the only way you can do that is to get after it. We end with something very practical. Pick a commandment, one that's intriguing to you, one that's challenging to you, one that you've had success in, whatever it is. Pick a commandment and then take time on your own, in your parish groups, at the men's Monday breakfast, with others around coffee, and dig into it. Use your sanctified imagination to figure out the beauty that is there, right? The thou shalt nots are the framework that open up the thou shalts. Think about the thou shalt not kill. That's the one we can all say, yep, got that one, God, haven't done that. Well, Jesus says thou shalt not kill means don't be angry with another in your heart. Okay, a little harder, but let's say we got that one down. Okay, but what is this commandment opening up, right? Not just what you shouldn't do toward another human being, but what you should do, what you can do. What are the thou shalts that are buried in that commandment? Thou shalt affirm the personhood of another. Thou shalt seek ways to make them feel like they're a treasured child of God, not just you in a given day. What are the thou shalts that that commandment opens up for you and your community. Study that. Delight in that. If you'd like some guidance, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is our denomination's founding document, has a catechism. There's a larger and a shorter. The larger is filled with reflections on what the commandments prohibit and encourage, and they're delightful, and they're fodder for the imagination. Go after that, but don't stop there. Then commit to finding ways in the next week, in the next day, in the next hour, in the next moment to put that commandment into practice. It will bring glory to God. It will be for the good of a beautiful community around you. And it will be who you were made to be and see if you are not filled with joy and love, not just for the commandment, but for the giver as well. Let's pray.
Gracious God, might we take you up on your beautiful challenge to receive your grace and then respond in living and in love in the ways that you are guiding us. Help us to trust you. When a commandment feels like it pushes against our instincts or even our understanding of what might be best, help us to trust you. But more important, help us, Jesus, to delight in you and what you've done for us and freeing us up so that we can live in this way, not just for your glory and not even just for another's good, but also for our own. We'll give you the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.